Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Baptist Church's podcast. For more information about the church, please visit our website at www.emmanuelmanning.com. Thanks and enjoy the sermon. Let's look at um, verses 15 through 17. 15 through 17. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let me keep going. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And of course, Jesus is speaking there of the Holy Spirit. We're continuing our series tonight called The Holy Spirit of God. Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at a few different topics In week one, we looked at the Holy Spirit as a person in the Godhead. And just by way of review, we looked at the fact that the Holy Spirit has a will, has emotions, can be lied to. Um, He speaks. Uh, And so all of these things are characteristic of a person. The Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is a person. And we need to, in our minds, begin to understand him and relate to him as a person. But he's not just any person, he's one of the persons in the triune Godhead. So he can be worshipped, he can be blasphemed, uh, and as Ananias and Sapphira found out, it's bad to lie to him. Uh, We looked the next week at the Holy Spirit as a promised reality. And there we looked at the experience of God's Old Testament saints and their experience of the Holy Spirit And how they looked forward to a day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out in fullness and in power. And we're going to review a little bit of that tonight. Then last week, we looked at the Holy Spirit as the anointing of the Messiah. And what we said is that at every point, at every major point in Jesus' life and ministry, the Holy Spirit was involved. So the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and that's how Jesus was conceived miraculously. Um, The Holy Spirit was at Jesus's baptism, descending upon him like a dove. And that was, uh, that is a reflection back to Genesis 1, creation language, kind of saying the Holy Spirit is going to work new creation through Jesus. Then the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. 
Uh, and the Holy Spirit was with Jesus when he was crucified. It was by the Spirit that Jesus was raised. And it was by the Spirit that Jesus did his preaching and miracle ministry. And so Jesus lived the, the, a human life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, tonight what I want us to look at is the Holy Spirit as the one who glorifies the Messiah in, in the church. And so we have to ask this question. If the hope of the Old Testament was that the people of God will be filled with the Spirit of God, and that was the great hope. You remember the story of Moses when he had these 70 elders who were, God said, I'm going to give some of the spirit that you have, I'm going to give it to them so that they can help rule the people of Israel because, frankly, Israel was about a million people at that point and Moses was doing all of the, the problem solving himself. Uh, and so these 70 elders had the spirit. They had this big meal where the spirit came down on these 70 elders and two happened not to be there. Uh, but they were in the camp and received the Spirit. There were 68 up there. Uh, two were in the camp and received the Spirit. And they were in the camp prophesying. And Joshua and a couple other guys looked at Moses and said, Hey, these guys are in the camp prophesying. You better stop them before they somehow take your authority. And here's what Moses said. Would that all of God's people had the Spirit. That was the great hope of the Old Testament. And you'll remember... When we talk about Jesus fulfilling prophecies in the Old Testament, he fulfilled a lot of them. But at the point of his death, some of the main ones were still unfulfilled. Joel 2, there's coming a day when all of your people will prophesy. Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit within them. I'll give them a new heart. Jeremiah 31 and 32, the new covenant which Jesus brought about by his death, the new covenant was really a covenant of the Spirit. And so what I want to do is show the connection between Jesus' life and then how that affects us as God's people, how it is that Jesus being glorified is what causes the Spirit to come down. And then I want us to look at how the Spirit works in the church. And this is going to be basic tonight because next week, We'll get into the controversial stuff about the gifts and tongues and all that fun stuff. But listen to what it says. John 7, 37. Um, this is at a particular feast that Jesus was at. And he says these words. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about who? This he said about the Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. Why? What in the world does Jesus being glorified have to do with the Spirit coming? Why is it that the Spirit can't come until Jesus is glorified? Well, Jesus makes this promise. He's pointing forward to a day when the Spirit will come. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper. Just a quick Greek lesson. There's two ways to say another in Greek. You can say another of a different kind, or you can say another of the same kind. 
This is another of the same kind. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so Jesus goes so far as to say it's to their advantage that he goes away. Listen to what he says. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Or he says this in Acts 1. So he's talking about the Spirit who is coming. And while staying with them, this is Jesus, post-resurrection, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We talked about this earlier. It's amazing that Jesus, having been raised from the dead, having accomplished salvation, basically tells his apostles who were to take his message to a lost and dying world that you don't need to do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is looking forward to them having the Spirit, but he can't give them the Spirit until he is glorified. Why? Well, when all else fails, you ask J.I. Packer. That's one of my themes in life. Why did the Holy Spirit come after Jesus? Here's what J.I. Packer says. Can you all mostly read that? Here's what he says. The full activity of the Spirit under the new covenant was one in which uh, the nature of the case, he could not begin, the Spirit could not begin until Jesus having made atonement for our sins, was risen and ascended. For this new task was precisely to glorify before men's eyes the glorified Jesus of Nazareth. That is, to make them see the glory of his finished work of redemption, to make his presence with them as the reigning Lord a conscious reality, to unite them to him in his risen life and make them understand what this union means and to lead them into the wealth of the salvation which he won for them. In other words, why is it that the Spirit couldn't come until Jesus had been glorified? Well, because it's Jesus' glory that the Holy Spirit is to help us share in. It's Jesus' redemption that the Holy Spirit is to explain to us. It's Jesus' presence as Lord that is his work. And so until all that was accomplished and Jesus was glorified, the Spirit couldn't come because there wasn't the reality yet for us to enter into. Does that make sense? And so Graham Cole says this, For at Pentecost we see uh, the great reversal in the economy of salvation. The bearer of the Spirit, that is Jesus, becomes the bestower of the Spirit. The state of Christological humiliation gives way to the state of Christological glory. Now that is theology speak for this. The reason that the Spirit couldn't be poured out until Jesus was ascended is because the Spirit being poured out is the great sign that Jesus is reigning that he's Lord over all things. Let's pause and think about this for a second. 
that you have the Holy Spirit should be a sign to the world that Jesus is reigning over all things, that he is Lord. He's Lord, and we know he's Lord because his people have the Spirit. And so it's an important thing for us to understand when the Spirit came and why, and it's very important for us to understand what the Holy Spirit does. So let's talk about this. What does the Spirit do now that Christ is exalted? Number one, the Spirit glorifies Christ. As a matter of fact, J.I. Packer said this, that the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity because he's always pointing to other things. That, that's his glory. That's what he loves to do. And the Holy Spirit especially loves to glorify Jesus. This is what Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority, but he'll take what I've given and he'll present that to you. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify me. This is why Paul says this. I've got a lot of Bible verses for y'all tonight. Is that okay in a Baptist church to do? Okay, just making sure. Therefore, Paul says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? And if someone has the Spirit of God, they're always going to speak highly of whom? Which, if... I'm being honest, and I will be, I try not to lie in the pulpit, is one of the big issues I have with many charismatic churches. Their whole doctrine and teaching exalts the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's whole ministry is to exalt who? Jesus. So the most Spirit-filled churches, and listen to me, because this is a good gauge for us, the most Spirit-filled churches are not the ones where the most spirity sort of things happen. The most spirit-filled churches are the ones where Jesus is loved most. Because the Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. The Spirit glorifies Christ by bringing people to Jesus. We, we looked at this in our Ordo Salutis sermon series as we talked about the, the order of salvation uh, this idea of regeneration, people coming to repent and believe in Jesus, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. The natural person, that is the person without the Spirit of God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. Folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now what does spiritually discerned mean? Spiritually discerned means that you're only able to discern them when you have who? Yeah, the Spirit basically tunes our radio to the frequency of Jesus. And anybody who doesn't have the Spirit is not tuned to the frequency of Jesus. And then the way that you can know you have the Spirit is when the things that the world makes fun of are the most precious things in the world to you, right? So I remember a few years ago watching Christopher Hitchens talk about uh, how every religion somehow has something against sex, and the way that Christianity has something against sex is because they're always prattling on about this virgin birth nonsense. And I just thought, we, we don't talk about the virgin birth because we don't like sex. We've got a nice long history of liking that. 
The reason we, we love the virgin birth is because it means that our Savior is not another sinner like us. That, that God has brought him into the world in a miraculous way to show that he's different. What you make fun of is the most precious truth to me. Or you'll have people talking about the crucifixion saying that the crucifixion is nothing but divine child abuse. And that somehow God putting his son to death on the cross somehow vindicates parents abusing their children. The cross is not a place of divine child abuse. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I give it up freely of myself. The cross is our glory. The cross is everything. The cross is where my Savior died. In my place is my substitute. He was abused by men. He was forsaken by God. But that's what I deserve. The way that you know you have the Spirit is the things that seem like folly to everybody else seem like glory to you. So if there's a lot about the fundamental major doctrines of Christianity that you think are really stupid, that's just a sign you don't have God's spirit. Or, or not even that you think they're stupid. How about that you just don't think they're glorious? I mean, anybody with breath in his lungs can say these words, can't he or she? So when Paul says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, he's not saying they can't mouth the words unless the Holy Spirit treats them like a puppet. He's saying nobody can with faith and joy say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So maybe it's not only that things are, you know, all right, Christianity's not folly. It's done some good to the world, but I'm relatively uninterested in it. And you don't have the Spirit. Because the Spirit brings people to Jesus. Well, how about this? John 3, 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus will later say he can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't make sense of it unless the Spirit is at work within you. Now, how many of you chose to be born of water? just kind of happened right yeah I, I had no control well guess what the spirit's in control of your new birth as well he's the one that brings you and bears you into life in jesus well, how about this acts 10 44 while peter was still saying these things the holy spirit he was talking about jesus believe it or not he was talking about his crucifixion burial and resurrection while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold uh, water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so what we see here is this is the way that the Spirit brings people to Jesus. Someone is out there preaching what? The Word and the Holy Spirit and His sovereign power falls on them, opens their eyes to the glory of Jesus so that they begin at least extolling God. We'll talk about this other one next week. Uh, but they glory in the gospel and they do that because the holy spirit is at work in them so the holy spirit's work is that he glorifies jesus by bringing people to jesus 
Has he brought you to Jesus? Do you glory in the gospel? Like when you think about your sin and you think about the fact that Jesus willingly laid down his life for you, does it make your eyes, like the hymn says, well with tears? Is this your only hope? Is this your glory? Is this your joy? The Spirit glorifies Christ by making people like Jesus. He not only brings people to Jesus, the Spirit glorifies Christ by making people like Jesus. And we said the word ruach, which is spirit of breath, it happens 388 times in the Old Testament, and only two times is it in the phrase Holy Spirit. So only twice in the Old Testament is the Spirit called the Holy Spirit, right? Remember that? Then we looked at Numa. <clears throat> in a book 25% as big as the um, Old Testament, 94 times the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. Somebody work out that ratio. So 40 more times in a book, one quarter the size. That's got to be pretty big, doesn't it? The point here is that the Spirit in the New Testament, one of his main jobs is to make people what? holy like Jesus Romans 8 12 says this so then brothers we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh if we were to go back and read Romans 7 we would find that Paul used to be in a debtor to the flesh he had to obey it when the flesh tempted him he, he was at a loss to overcome but something changed so that he no longer has to live according to the flesh. Paul says it's important that you don't live according to the flesh because if you live according to the flesh, you will what? And when the Bible says die like that, it means eternal death. It means hell. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So now that we have the Holy Spirit, praise God, we don't have to do what the flesh demands. We no longer have to live in false piety. We no longer have to live in lust. We no longer have to live in anger or jealousy or rage or fear of man. We no longer have to live in these things because the Spirit is within us. And by the Spirit, you know what we can do with the deeds of the body? We can actually put them to death because... We're led by the Spirit of God. Now, again, this is one of those phrases that I feel like gets abused because we talk about, you know, the Spirit. And this happened when I went to Columbia Bible College. Some lady or would say to some young man or some young man would say to some young woman, you know, the Spirit's leading me, telling me that you and I are going to get married. Of course, the standard response to that is, as soon as he leads me, I'll let you know, right? Or the Spirit led me to this or the Spirit led me to that. Generally, in the New Testament, when it talks about the Spirit leading you, you know what it's talking about? The Spirit leading you out of sin into holiness. That's how you know you're led by the Spirit. You're sinning less in objective ways. And so because we have the Spirit, we can be made more like Jesus. Or how about this one? And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the 
Now, this is, the Spirit shows up twice in this verse, actually, if you have eyes to see it. He's here. It's the Spirit that uh, transforms us into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Do you know where else the Spirit is in this verse? Remember, the Spirit is that flashlight. He's shining on Jesus. And so you're looking at Jesus and you're beholding the glory that is His in the gospel. And as you do that, you're transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Spirit. The Spirit does His work of changing you as you submit to His work of showing you the glory of the Lord. If you're not coming out of sin quickly enough, and if I'm not coming out of sin quickly enough, maybe it has less to do with how hard we're trying, and it has to do with how much we're beholding. You see that? What do you think? Is that right? This is one of the reasons why I say that actually getting together on Sunday morning is one of the most important things in a Christian life, because when we're singing songs together about Jesus, what are we doing? Beholding the glory of the Lord. And when we're listening to the word, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. Sunday morning is necessary for your sanctification. Don't miss church. Well, how about this? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Notice here that it's sanctification that's attributed to the Spirit. So, the Spirit glorifies Jesus by bringing people to Jesus, and the Spirit glorifies Jesus by making people like Jesus. So where the Spirit is at work, Jesus is beheld as glorious, and Jesus is worshipped. The second thing that the Spirit does is the Spirit empowers the church. He glorifies Jesus and he empowers the church. How? Two ways. The Spirit empowers the church by making us witnesses. By making us witnesses. By the way, how many of you are still praying that 30 days of prayer for that person you decided to pray for that you're going to invite to church for Easter and share the gospel with? Y'all still doing that? I've got more of those 30 days of prayer down here so that when you're done with this person, you can move on to the next person. The Spirit empowers the church by making us witnesses. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So the power there is to be a witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Acts 5.27, I love this. This is uh, Peter and John. They had been put in jail for testifying about Jesus. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. By the way, that's Revelation. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. 
and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So the Holy Spirit, we said, we looked at a minute ago, brings people to Jesus. How does the Holy Spirit do that? When we are what? And so the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness. And as Dr. Ware, my systematic theology professor, would say, he bears witness as we bear witness. He witnesses through us. When you're sharing the gospel, do you genuinely believe that you're a mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit of God? Do you believe that he can empower you to witness? Or do you believe that he can make it effective? When you look through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts and the Gospels, you'll see that the, the main part of the Holy Spirit's job is to empower us to bear witness. Secondly, moving right along, the Holy Spirit empowers the church by giving us gifts. Giving us gifts. By the way, uh, dictionary.com today tweeted something out. Have you ever seen this word? It says pictures that move. Just so you know, the technical pronunciation is GIF. Just letting you know. Dictionary.com settled that today. I thought of that when I said GIFs. Let's forget about that. That's a sidetrack. That has nothing to do with the Spirit. The Spirit empowers the church by giving us gifts. Um, the verses were too long, so let me read them to you. Why don't you look these up? Here's how you can know the passages about gifts. Are you ready? Uh, Two of them are fours and two of them are twelves. So you have 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Those are the four sections that talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we'll delve into these a little bit more um, next week. But I want to talk about the non-controversial things before we talk about the controversial things. 1 Peter 4, why don't you look there, verses 10 and 11. You don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack, and somebody in a second will call out what page 1 Peter chapter 4 is on in the pew Bible. I'm sure of it. What is it? 10, 16. 1 Peter 4, look at verses 10 and 11. Now let's go back to 8. Let's go back to 7. 7, let's go back to 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to, each, uh, to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. I love this. Peter just, this is a, such a great life of the church passage. You need to be self controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers, because goodness gracious, 
We don't pray because we're neither self-controlled or sober-minded. If we don't have enough control to pray, we don't do it. And then when we have enough self-control to pray, we're thinking about all kinds of other junk. Peter says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He says, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Why should we love one another earnestly? Since love covers a multitude of sins. We're going to sin against one another a lot, so we better keep loving one another a lot because love covers over sins. That comes from the Proverbs, which says a man of strife exposes sins, but love covers a multitude of sins. That means rather than speaking about the way somebody sinned against you, if we are earnestly loving one another, what will we do? Cover it over. I'm preaching that text soon. Here we go. Then show hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. And then the final thing we need to do, because the end is at hand, is we need to use our gifts as good stewards of God's varied grace. The way that God gives grace to people is usually through channels, and one of the channels of God's grace are the gifts that he gives us. And here, Peter kind of uh, lumps these gifts under two headings, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And so if you have a speaking gift, you need to speak as though you're speaking God's oracles. And whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Maybe I should have included this in the announcement video. So when we come to the end of our strength and we can only serve in the strength that God supplies, Jesus is glorified serving kids ministry. And what these gifts do is they bring glory to Jesus. They bring glory to, glory to God through Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. And then let's flip over to Ephesians 4. This is talking about the fact that since Jesus is raised from the dead, like all good kings should, as risen Lord and King, he's dispersed gifts to his people. When kings came to their throne in the ancient world, people gave them all kinds of gifts. Jesus is a better king because when he was uh, enthroned, he gave gifts to his people. And what are the gifts that he gave? Look at verse 11. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Jesus, by his Spirit, gave gifts, and when we operate in the power of the Spirit, using the gifts that he's given us, we will attain unity of the faith. We will attain deeper knowledge of Jesus. We'll reach maturity. We'll no longer be children um, who can be fooled by every kind of craft and deceitful scheme. Rather, as we speak the truth in love, we grow up in every way into Jesus. 
so that the whole body can build itself up in love. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. You'll need to go back to the left for 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we're told right there why you're given a spiritual gift. Why are you given a spiritual gift according to verse 7? Manifestation of the Spirit for the what? Common good. So Paul says we need to attain unity of faith. There he says we need to work for the common good. Let's flip over to Romans 12. Look at verse 3. What page is Romans 12 on? 947. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Interesting. We all have different measures of faith, and we need not think that we have more than we do. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so here's the picture that emerges out of this. What, what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and is used in any ministry of the church until Jesus comes. And this is why I say when we do our new members class, it's a good time to review this. In our new members class, we basically go through all of these passages and we come to a conclusion. And here's the conclusion that we come to that I don't have everything within myself that's needed to reach mature manhood. I don't have everything within myself that I need in order to grow in likeness to Jesus. That each of you has a gift of the Spirit that God has given you so that by exercising it, the rest of us can look like Jesus. No, who, raise your hand if you have all the gifts. So you know what that makes you? That makes you needy, right? And it makes you needy of other people. Now, I have a gift or two, right? Uh, but they're not everything that you need to reach full maturity. You need, really in Romans 12, when it says one who leads, it's talking about one who has the gifts of administration. 
My wife has gifts of administration, and I'm willing to bet you that her administrative gifts have probably done just as much, if not more, to serve people than my preaching gifts. I'm not saying that lightly, and I'm not, I'm not. Structure serves people, and a lack of it hurts people, right? Or we have people who have gifts of giving, who very quietly, in small ways, God has blessed them, and they want to bless other people. And because of that, we have things like new air conditioning units in the back of the church. I don't know if you noticed those on the way in. This summer at 10 a.m., it might actually be 72 degrees in here. And, and that way, somebody coming into the church isn't thinking the whole time, well, this sermon's okay, but I can't listen. It's sweating. Sweat's going down my back. Or... How many of you, again, not to bang one drop, how many of you were further along in your faith or helped by a Sunday school teacher that you had when you were a kid? I can think of three or four of mine. I can remember their voices. So the bottom line is, is if you're a member of this church and you're not using your gifts, we won't reach full maturity in Christ. And we'll still be children driven about by every wind of doctrine. And we won't attain the unity of faith. Because God has given me a gift, and he's given you a gift, and none of them are more important than the other. The eye can't say to the toe, you're just a toe. Because if you don't have a big toe, what don't you have? Balance, right? And, you know, the mouth can't say to the elbow, what good are you? We can't do that. We need to be all using our gifts. So let's apply this. We'll apply it in two ways. The way that you know you have the Spirit is that you glory in the gospel and you glory in Jesus. You don't just see the truth about Jesus. You see glory in the truth about Jesus. And it reorients your life and it reorients your thinking. If that has happened to you, that is because you've been born again by the Holy Spirit. And if that's not you, then you're not a spiritual person because you can't discern the truth about God. The second thing is this, is that the Holy Spirit wants to make you more like Jesus. And we should engage all of our faculties in joining him in that work. Because of the Spirit, you can actually be more like Jesus than you are now. Third, the Holy Spirit is with us and empowering us to be witnesses. How can you say you glory in the gospel when you don't share it? John Piper says this, you can't commend what you don't cherish. But if you cherish it, you'll commend it. And that's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift to use in this church for building other people up in the faith. What else are you doing in this world? What else is worth doing in this world? Can you make an argument from the scripture that there is actually something more important for you to be doing than building up God's people by using your spiritual gift in the context of the local church? If you can make the argument, I'll listen. I say that with a certain amount of confidence, don't I? I don't think you can make the argument. I don't think you can. Whatever it is that you're doing that makes you too busy to use your gifts in local church, you're wasting your 
I was going to say cuss word time. You're wasting your, I wasn't going to do that. You're wasting your time. What else changes people except the gospel for eternal good? What else is the organization that God is at work in other than the church? Who else empowers all of this except for the Holy Spirit? And who does the Holy Spirit empower except for you? Some of us have some explaining to do, amen? Oh, me? So use your gifts, speak the gospel, be like Jesus, and glorify Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you.